going to continue on with this discussion in James on, on just what we've been doing really for the summer, exploring this book. And I have been focused on one concept in particular, the idea of, of wisdom. And it's one of the great themes of the book and how you know, James really teaches us how we can apply that wisdom into the everydayness of our life as a growing person. So that's what I want to look at. So I want to, you know, again, push into this. Now, what, what we've been focused on has been sort of what godly wisdom isn't. And I want to, I want to sit with this passage in James because at, I want to read where, what we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. And then we're going to add two more verses to it. Because watch how James shifts the discussion from what godly wisdom doesn't look like to then he describes what it does look like in our lives. And so we'll read this, James 3, verses 13 through 18. It says, if you are, if you are wise, if you uh, understand, and he's talking about the, God's ways, and he's talking about how we need to prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. He says, but if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, um, then don't cover up that. Don't pretend there's not a problem when there really is one. Don't cover up that truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness, that's not God's kind of wisdom. And then he has these three intense words with each increasing in intensity. These things are earthly, unspiritual, demonic even. He says, for whatever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you're actually going to find disorder and evil. That's peace disruptive of every kind. But the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom that comes from God, this wisdom is, first of all, it's pure, it's, it's peace-loving, it's gentle at all times, it's, it's, it's willing to yield to others, it's, it's full of mercy it's, it's good, and good deeds. It shows no favoritism, in, and it's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers, they're going to plant seeds of peace. And you know what's going to happen because of that? They're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. Good things are going to follow when we do things God's ways. And and I was thinking about this a lot this past week and just kind of what it all, all meant. And, and I was zeroing in on that 17th verse because he really lists, I don't know if you caught it the first time through, but he lists eight specific qualities or characteristics of godly wisdom. He'd been talking about what wisdom is, and it's not self-seeking, it's not jealous, it's not, you know, um, so concerned only about ourselves and, and getting ahead of people and using people. He's saying, but then he lists eight things. And um, what we're going to do, and we're not going to treat them all equally the same amount of time. I'm going to come in and out of this. But the goal is that as we focus in on a couple of these things, that maybe one or two of them will really speak to us in terms of maybe something we're, we're walking through or an area maybe that we're feeling like God is actually challenging us to upgrade and uh, to consider making adjustments around. And again, I find that the scripture is very real. It's, it's quite possible that some of us are going to face situations right around the corner tomorrow where some of what we're looking at is going to come into play. And how we respond is going to have a lot to do with how God begins to teach us and grow things in us. So what's the first thing we notice? He says that wisdom is. He says, first of all, that wisdom that is from above is pure. Now, that's a, you know, a word that, that we often, you know, kind of, Think about maybe, but don't really think about it at a, at a spiritual level. I mean, what is, what is purity? But, but this whole idea of the absence of something that is, is wrong is speaking a lot about a character that is, is really committed to wanting to do things God's way. I often think about, when I think about purity, and I think about this, the, 
the example of Christ. You think about purity of character and the wisdom of God as it shows up in purity. I think about the way of Jesus. So for me, it was really helpful to just, when I looked at that, I said, what is that wisdom? What are you talking about there? What is the foundation place? Well, I think it, it has a lot to do with Christ-likeness. I mean, the way that Jesus treated people, the way in which he honored the Father's will and plan, the way in which he was beautifully pure in his character and in his words and in his deeds. And the, the, I guess I think about his humility. I think about the, the holiness of Christ. Think about his compassion, his kindness, um, his astonishing commitment, his willingness to confront things but not become reckless. I mean, just a, an amazing example of purity in every way. And I thought, you know, Lord, really what you call us to, anyone who's serious about following you, you're calling us to, to follow in your example, to try to pursue your ways in our life and become more Christ-like. And that's something that doesn't just happen. It's, it, you know, because we're all going to struggle with stuff. None of, there is no way that we ever get this completely down. There is just no way that, we, you know, we all have blind spots. We all have areas where we're prone to, to falling back in the destructive patterns. And, but the Lord calls us to a growing path. And when we're serious about following him, he invites us into working with him and to see that show up in our lives. So when I was thinking about Christ-likeness as it's connected to this idea of purity uh, and the wisdom of God as it shows up in our lives, I thought, how do we, okay, I just said it. How does that actually work? How do I increase in the purity of my character? How do I become more like Christ? People tell us that's what we should do all the time. It's what I want to do. But how does that really show up? I'm going to start by just, I'm going to call these like the, this is like basic training. Um, but yet, an expert is someone who basically has mastered the basics, because you never stop forgetting the basics. No matter what else we do, it's all about basic principles. And the, one of the things I want to just put on, I'm going to put three quick things up. I mean, they'll be fairly fast. But I want to suggest that one of the keys to staying in a Christ-like place and growing in, his, in the purity of wisdom has to do with staying connected. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about how that you and I need to, to there are some times in our life where we do not have the power on our own capacity to do what is right. Um, there are times where the, w the way life works is sometimes we get confronted with things and we start to really feel the pressure and the heat. And sometimes it has to do with, like I mentioned, patterns of behavior that we've had in the past. It might have to do with, you know, things that we drop into when the pressure is on. And, you know, it, it, we all, listen, not a one of us here doesn't have some area that is, is weak. And we all have, as one of my professors used to say at seminary, we all have scotomas. We all have blind spots. We don't always see things clearly. So what it means is we're going to have to stay connected to Christ. And, you know, Jesus said in John 15, he said that I am the vine. This is one of his great I am statements where you say, this is what I am. I am the vine and you're the branches, right? He talked about this. He says, he, the one who abides in me and if I abide in you and him, that person's going to bear a lot of fruit. Think about the, the picture he's creating for us. He's saying, but without me, you cannot do anything. Not, a, not at a spiritual level. He's, he's, he's saying the power of the branch and its ability to produce fruit is its connection to the vine. And he says, and I am the vine. So here's the deal. There are some, some, some of us may feel like we're smart, but we're not that smart. 
Some of us might feel like I'm very strong, but we're not that strong. The fact is that there are going to become times where we are going to need God. We're going to need the power of Christ at work in our life because the truth is all systems are weak and we're feeling it. And there will be times when part of us wants to run away from things, escape from things that we know that God wants us to stand up and face. There are going to be times we want to give up, quit. We're so discouraged. We feel lonely. I don't care. I mean, we feel, maybe we feel extraordinarily tempted to, to get way off and do something radically reckless. And things start flying through our minds. And we're just tired. And in these places, the Lord wants to teach us how to draw off of him. That's why... We say that, you know what, Jesus has to be on our mind a lot. Not just like when we come to church for an hour a week on a Saturday or Sunday or even maybe during the middle of the week once in a while. I'm talking about how the Lord wants us to keep him near. He wants to teach us how to stay connected. That part of the purity of his wisdom that flows into our life is, is every, has everything to do with staying connected to him. I'm talking to the Lord. He's a part of my life. I'm looking at his words. I'm reading about his example. Um, I'm talking to others about the Lord in my life. He, I, he, it's just, it's, he's on my mind, too. Not just staying connected, but this is when I say this all the time, you guys, but honestly, I believe it with all my heart because it's been my salvation in key moments. If stay connected and then also stay accountable. Stay accountable. And, you know, the idea of being accountable means I'm bringing other people into into my life, that we train together, we're, we're sharing, I'm sharing my fears, I'm praying, um, I'm talking about what my struggles are, we're sharing with one another, we're praying for one another. That's why, you know, when Jesus set it up, he set up, he had his disciples, he formed a small group. We talk about the, the importance of a small group, how we have other people in our lives, and how we're connecting in a common pursuit of wanting to grow in him. And how valuable that can be. You know, depending on where we are in our life and what transitions we're in or what we're going through, sometimes it's just important to have a kind of loose intimacy. It's kind of a more broad in intimacy that, that we're known in a group. But then there are other times where we really need just a couple of really key people that we can share extraordinarily vulnerably with and not feel like one we're going to be taken advantage of and have that used against us, or two, we're going to be mercilessly judged. But it's that truth-telling in humility where we are honest about our struggles that is a critical piece to getting better. And I'll, I'll remind us all of another verse at the end of James's letter that I've clung to for m much of my life with, with, in Christ, really. It's in James 5, 16, and it says this, and you hear me say it all the time, confess your faults one another, your trespasses one to another, and look at this, and pray for one another that you may be healed. That you may be healed, right? Because we know that the effective, sincere, fervent, honest, intense prayer of, of, a, of a person, when it's done in his name, it has tremendous power. A righteous person, a person who's seeking to walk in right paths with God, it, it has actually a significant amount of effect. And there, listen to me, there are some things that in our life we cannot dislodge by ourselves. They will, the healing comes in praying for one another. I don't know why God designed it, but there, maybe it's because there's a humility in it. But there are some things that only as we share and pray for one another do we receive the healing that we need. And oftentimes, I've found that it's been such a, such a huge 
thing to have someone who, when I'm struggling to want to do what is right in the Lord's eyes, that I can say, you know what, I'm going to have to, I've, I've given you an invitation to challenge me in a good way to pursue the things that I say I believe and, and, to, and, to, and to be strength to one another. We need that in our lives. And then, so stay connected. How do I maintain God's purity in my life? Stay connected, stay accountable, and then stay with it. Don't quit. There will always be times when we want to run. I'm telling you, I'm like, um, I'm, uh, I, I think there's some times where we can't. Remember, remember, it's not what it, we always say. It's not the Christian life. It is not the sprint out of the gate. It's not, whoosh, right? I'm going. He didn't say, he, it is a long, it is a long run. That means we got to take into account pacing, rhythm. We have to begin to think a little bit differently in the difficult spot. I can't tell you how many people, I've watched them get out of the gate so fast. Man, it was full tilt, I mean, all in for Jesus. But at what happens is, and Jesus talked about it all the time. He would tell parables. He'd say, you know what, you start, it starts going really fast. And he says, but then the heat comes and the trials come. And if there's no root system, it just starts to wither. And a lot of times, it's not about how fast we run. I'm a big per- I believe in passion. I do. I want to live a passionate life for Christ, but I'm not always up. And you know what? Learning how to stay with the Lord and how to live in the purity of his wisdom means we have to learn sometimes how to survive in the dry places. In fact, most faith, that's where it really matures, in the tough spot. The real growth comes because the roots got to go deep. That's where the water is, and it's not on the surface. It's down low. And it's not always easy. And I got up. There are times where we have to apply every principle we know of to make it through a season. Grow in the wisdom of God. How to negotiate the complexity of life and stay vibrant and growing and alive. Wisdom from above is one pure, two, what else is it? It's peaceable. It's peace-loving. I look at this and I go, you know, Lord, how many times is our peace ruined? You know, I know you want me to have peace of mind, um, but a lot of times we get stuck in places. Maybe some of us are stuck right now. We're angry with someone. We're resentful. We're bitter. Um, we feel cheated. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Maybe we feel at work it's very hostile. I've been talking to people. A lot of them are saying, you don't understand. My workplace is so hostile. Everybody's trying to stab me in the back. Everybody's, sometimes it's not even overt, but everybody's trying to fight for limited positions and opportunities, and it's very competitive, but it's competitive at a level that is not calling everybody up, but it's got everybody kind of working for their own interests. And I said, how does the, how does the wisdom of God show up there? You know, a lot of times we get, we get offended at things in our, with people we love. Um, how much friendships erode? Um, how many times someone does something to us, it bothers us. Someone doesn't acknowledge what we've done. We went out of our way. They didn't seem to care that much. Um, we get, that bothers me. You didn't, why didn't you include me? Why didn't you even say, I mean, we start, and then we start getting irritated. It bothers, we start letting our peace get ruined. We get corrupted by it. You know, here, you know, one of the things I learned, too, again, it wasn't, it was something I was taught. It's interesting. The things that I learned in seminary, seminary that I remember the most are the things that were the simplest. And I remember one time when my professor said to me, Terry, he says, he said, and you hear me, I'll mention every now and then, he says, he said, listen, what you won't let be, won't let you be. I started scratching my head. I said, what are you talking about, right? He said, what you won't let be, won't let you be. Man, you got to, you got to, you got to let this go. 
You gotta cast your care on him. You can't, you're just holding on to stuff. You shouldn't be holding on to that. If you don't, if you don't, if you keep squeezing this thing, it's gonna just define your whole life. It's gonna rob you of the peace of God. I mean, that's what, you know, you know I remember, I, was, I read a story. Actually, I was told this story, and I remember years ago, I go, oh, that, yes, I get it. Um, it was a story of two men. One of them was an aged teacher, and he had a student with him. And they were walking together for a long time. They get to this river crossing. And uh, this river crossing is, is shallow enough to get by, but you have to kind of walk up to your, your waist a little bit. There was a particular spot on the river where people would cross. And so this, this teacher with his, his disciple, you know, his protege is with him, and they're, they're talking. He's, the, the teacher's much older, the younger man. Um, is this kind of like his disciple. They're walking and talking and just discussing things. They get to the river crossing. They're about to go across, but there's this kind of very old lady who she's kind of raggedy and she she hasn't she's she's smelly and she's just kind of like um, not someone that that maybe was easy to be with necessarily. And she asks the teacher. She says, "Hey, would you be able to either you or your or your student to be able to carry me across, because I can't get across on my own. And the older man said, oh, I'm, too, I'm too old, but my student will. And the, initially his reaction was, you really? You know? <laughs> sure, right? So she climbs up on him, and she's got her hands on him, and he's, he just, you know, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. It's like, walking across the stream and she's on him holding on his back and he finally gets across with her and uh, he puts her he, he, she gets off, she just jumps off gets off and doesn't turn around doesn't, just goes and he's like and his master's already, is already walking so he, he joins him, about an hour passes he says, can you believe that old lady? She didn't even say thank you to me. To which he replied, are you still carrying that old lady? <laughs> and a lot of times, we are carrying things. We just keep carrying it and carrying it and carrying it. It's like, you got to let you got to let that go. You got, are you still carrying her? I thought she got off. And a lot of times we carry our offense, right? And it's like, when are we going to let that thing go? We get stuck there. We get stuck there. They didn't say this. They, and our peace is like corrupted by the fact that we are bothered by, a, by something that should have been done. And, and, and God has said, that's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom, lets it be. Time, sometimes we got to move on and just say, Lord, I leave this in your hands. I can't change it. I don't control anything in this regard. So I'm just going to trust you, but don't let it corrupt me. Blessed, all, you know, shifting it around a little bit, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And there are going to be times where the Lord wants us to contend for peace. Sometimes it's in our own minds, sometimes it's with other people. Yeah, I get it. Sometimes we're going to have to challenge. Sometimes, I know this is true too, sometimes the most loving thing we can do, and it's clear in the scripture, is, is not to pretend there's a problem when there is one. And there are some times where we need to be able to say, because peace is not necessarily something that is passive. 
Peace doesn't compromise the purity. Peace at times will require us, the, peace of, the wisdom of God will require us at times to confront something. You say, well, I thought we were supposed to be at peace with it. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean that something isn't supposed to be confronted when it's clearly destructive and wrong and unhealthy. There, there's this tension, this balance. There's a time to let things go, and there's a time actually when the hardest thing that we can actually have to do is to deal with something because it would be so much easier to be passively aggressive, tuck it inside, and pretend there's not a problem when we all know there is one. And so, well, I just want to be peaceable, but peaceable, if it means closing my eyes and, 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 and just sort of going along with something because we don't want to have a conflict, then at some level we are living with a, how would I call this, maybe a, a, a false peace, a false peace that actually is a facade that masks the dishealth that needs to be addressed. So it doesn't always mean just saying there's not a problem, there is one. And that leads to the, the, this third description of what godly wisdom looks like. The wisdom, look at it. Wisdom of God is also, and now it almost sounds like, what were you talking about? You just, you were just talking about getting into something. Yeah, I know, but the wisdom of God is also gentle. And sometimes it's translated kindness. It's easy to get along with, not hard to be with, not irritable, not with someone with an explosive edge. If you've ever been around someone who's got an explosive edge, where you don't know who's showing up. Now, it's one thing when that happens and we're an adult, when we're a little kid. That's really, that's really tough. And I remember, I remember even in my own life, I was thinking back, I was going, man, I remember when I was being around my, my father. I was around 12, and I can remember, I, I didn't know who was going to show up. And the same place that I stepped one day would be fine. But the next day I stepped in the same place and it would explode. And after a while you start getting afraid to step because who's showing up? You know the Bible says that we are to be, we are to be a gentle people. That we, are be, we are to seek to be not irritable. We don't have to, we don't, we're not, we don't have an explosive edge to us that's waiting like a tripwire. Someone says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing. We explode out of that. It's not God's way. That's not the wisdom from above. If anything, I, I'll read this to you out of 1 Peter 3. They're going to put this up. 1 Peter 3 says this. And I was just sitting with it. Peter writes, he says, You know what? Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Do you know how hard that is? That is really, that's not easy to do. You know, I don't, I, since I've been following the Lord for a long time, since I was a, it really in my teen years, I made a decision early on when I was following Jesus that I was going to try to honor the Lord with my words. And so I said, you know what, I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to be profane. That's not going to be part of who I am. Lord, I'm going to try to follow your example. But every now and then, I, someone will say something, someone will flip me off. And I might not swear at them, but I'll say something like, and the Lord bless you too, right? <laughs> Which is kind of like my version, right? And I know that's not what he meant when he says bless them. But my spirit, you know what I'm saying? And I think that I get it. The Lord wants us to, he wants us to be a people who bless and who are not so quick to be, did you offend me? What did you say? Excuse me? Uh, you know, and, I'm, and why is it that we're so quick? To, what, 
I, some, you know, some, I mean, people, I mean, it's like, it's in us to, to escalate things so fast. I don't care. Four is perfect lead-in. Wisdom is willing, and I really got to hustle here, you guys. Willing to yield to others. Whoa, wow. That's what he says, right? It's wisdom is willing to yield to others. And I don't think we're talking about a lack of a backbone or an unwillingness to stand up for our convictions because the Bible's full of people who refuse to compromise. Jesus, he, he, he went all the way. He didn't compromise. But what we're talking about here is a little bit different. It's, it has to do with not being stubborn. Not being stubborn. And not, so we can't listen. We're not reasonable. Right? He's talking about the ability to, to just you know, be open, not closed down and inflexible. This is what I think. You know, it's, it's some, and that's how we clash. We start clashing. I, last story. Two mountain goats. <laughs> they meet each other on a very narrow ledge. It's only wide enough for one of them to get by. The ledge is so steep, it's so, and it's really, if you, they, 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 they have no maneuverability. They can't turn back, can't turn around. They don't have the ability to turn around. Just what are they going to do? Each one's, one's going one way, and one's going the other way. Now, it's kind of a riddle. Some, some of them, you know what they do? They just butt heads till one falls on the ground all the way down the valley and dies. Sometimes they keep butting their heads so hard that both of them, both of them fall down and die. But every now and then, one, I don't know for sure if this is true, I think. <laughs> one, but it, it's just a great illustration. One will get down and the other one will walk over them. And they both go. And there's a great metaphor for some things. Who's going to take the humble place so that we can both move on? No! You! No! You! Boom! Boom! Right? That's so, that's so simple. Who's going to go? You know what? What did Jesus do? He who was great became small. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, and we walked right over him into life. That's what I call the example. People live in humility, and he modeled for us a different way. I'm not saying we get all the way there, but I'm saying it is a pathway to follow. It's an example. It's awesome. Five, we need to be full of mercy. That's the wisdom of God is full of mercy. <laughs> I need mercy. And every time I start forgetting it, the Lord will remind me how much I need it. And I go, Lord, don't let me have a judgmental, angry, pharisaical heart that has no mercy in it. I want to contend for what is right. I want to be hard on myself in a good way to not give a pass every time and say, well, what does it matter? I'm not going to do that. Don't let me do that, Lord. But at the same time, don't let me be a little tougher on myself and a little more graceful with others. Instead of giving myself a pass all the time, I need to challenge myself to try to honor you better, bring other people in if I have to, but help me, Lord, to be merciful to other people and not, not lay the law. Sometimes, not everything that matters is always justice. Sometimes we will need mercy. Blessed are the merciful. We shall obtain mercy. Should we be forgiving someone? Should we be, over, should we be 
I, I thought you just said you gotta confront things. I thought you just said that. Didn't you just say that? There's some things you gotta deal with straight up. Yeah, I did say that. And there are other times where the Lord will say, you know what? Let it go. Forgive, be merciful. Sometimes he'll say, you need to stand up. And don't say this is good when it's not. And other times he'll say, you need to let it be. Give grace. Forgive. You will need forgiveness. Six, the wisdom shows up in good deeds. You guys, we talked about this. Faith needs more than just words. It needs actions. Seven, it doesn't show a lot of favoritism. <laughs> I have kids, four kids. Well, they're not kids anymore, really. They're all adults. My youngest one just turned 18 and headed off to college. I miss her, actually. I see her. She's not that far away, but I miss her. You know what the thing about it is? Those four kids, they're all different. I love them all. I love them all. I love them all differently, and I love them all the same. And I try really hard not to show favoritism. But to be, but I have one of them, not, and I won't tell you who she is. <laughs> that narrowed it down 50%. Uh, but <laughs> she's not the oldest, so, okay. <laughs> but she will say to me in front of the rest of the kids, yeah, Dad, I know and everybody else knows I'm your favorite. <laughs> and she'll say it more than once. I say, oh, what are you talking about? No, I know, I know. And I go, oh, you, 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 you're my favorite. <laughs> I go, they're all my, everybody's my favorite. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's all right, Dad. <laughs> you know? He says, you call me Peanut. And I do, I do. But God doesn't want us to be fa play favorites. If, uh, okay, I'll get quick, quick. Jesus, he, he was amazing because he, he, he didn't punish groups. He didn't say, okay, um, you're so powerless and, and messed up that you need to go do some work and then we'll have a conversation. He's like, no, he didn't do that. But neither did he do that, which we would say, oh, no, he was a friend of the lowly. He, would, he met with, he loved people. He touched people nobody else would touch. He, 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 he didn't buy in. He was great. He was amazing. But at the same time, what's amazing to me about Jesus is that the same Jesus that reached down to people who were very low, um, he would also, he had an amazing graciousness to people who were, Powerful and rich. And Zacchaeus, I want to come dine with you. Uh, he didn't, he has this really amazing reach. He, he loved people everywhere. It wasn't like he was saying, oh, you're some evil person because you've, you've achieved. He said, you know what? Be generous with God. Do what is right in his eyes. There's room at the table for you as well. To the Lord, you know what? God has a plan for you. Blessed are you. Uh, God has, it was like this amazing reach. I love that. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't trying to manipulate. He was, it was so, and that's the, that's the end. That's the last one. He, no, why? Because he was utterly sincere. What I mean by that, that's the eighth one. He was utterly sincere because he was fully authentic. So there was no pretense, no ulterior motive in Jesus. So he was who he was. It wasn't like he was trying to get something. He was giving it. 
So there was no need. I don't, I'm not trying to get anything from you, but represent God's heart to you. And therefore, it, it, what you see is who I am fully. Now, that is awesome because it invites us into a place of full authenticity. The more secure we are, the less facades we have to wear, the less hypocritical we have to be. We are seeking to be an authentic, true version of one who follows Christ and is filled not as a perfect person, but as a growing person with his life. And therefore, when we follow in his way, and, you know, and then what happens is, in the last verse there says it, what happens is when we live this way, verse 18, we begin to have a kind of peace that we bring into places that has an effect on the environment so that it shows up in our homes and it starts to show up in our workplace. Look what it says. It says, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of what is right. When we bring into the atmosphere a peace, relationships are affected by atmosphere and atmosphere is affected by attitudes. And when our attitude is good, it creates an atmosphere of life. That atmosphere begins to have a positive effect on the relationships. That's part of the way the Lord works through us and around us. So, you know, I thought in just connecting this all together, I thought, wouldn't it be great if we read what is one of the, one of the great prayers of, uh, of the church, the prayer of St. Francis, who our city is named after. And I thought, let's just all read this together. In fact, I'd like us to read it. If you would, read this with me out loud to the Lord. Let's do this together. Oh, we don't often do this. Let's do it together. Lord, come on. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me sow pardon. Where there is doubt, let me sow faith. Where there is despair, let me give hope. And where there is darkness, let me give light. And where there is sadness, let me give joy. And Lord, I thank you because you care about the effect of our lives. And I often know that the effect that we have is also connected to what's going on inside of us. So we invite you, Lord, to begin to work your wisdom into our life. Help us, Lord, to live better lives for you, to honor you with a faith that is vibrant and alive and very capable of not only sustaining itself through the challenging places, the dry places, um, the discouraging places, but also that has a certain kind of a vibrancy and resiliency so that it, it begins to reflect you wherever it goes. And so I just pray that as we close our service, Lord, um, we have our closing song, we have our time of giving for our community to honor you in that you, Lord, will continue to work in our lives your purposes. This is what we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.